Good morning, everybody. We're so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Uh, Christmas is next weekend. And uh, like Emily just mentioned, uh, Jesse Turner Center is actually closed on Christmas Day. And so we will be celebrating Christmas uh, with all of you. Lord willing, you'll be here and with many in our community. And we'll be celebrating at both of those services. Uh, A next step for today at the end of the sermon is to think through uh, who you can invite. But I'm going to give that to you right now. So you can just begin in your mind thinking through the people in your life, your, your neighbors, your family, your friends, uh, who you can invite next Saturday uh, to come to one of our Christmas Eve services. You'll see the flyer that's in your program. Uh, also, in that program, there's lots of different resources, different events that we have coming up. I encourage you to check those out. But if you could, right now, why don't you pull out your, your listening guide? We have this each week. Uh, we also have that on our Church Center app. Uh, but this is a way for you to take notes, to see the scriptures, And I encourage you, uh, we have a pen each week uh, that's not just for you to take home, put in your purse, or put in your car. There's probably thousands of Ridgeview's pens everywhere, right? But uh, really, uh, that's for you uh, to be able to take notes. And there's actually something, uh, studies have been shown, when you actually put pen to paper, uh, it actually helps you remember. And it helps you remember more than just listening. And so as you engage, and as you maybe write down something that that you hear, or something that maybe even God puts on your heart, uh, that has a way of actually kind of getting to you in a different way. Uh, you remember it. There's an insight that you may gain. So I encourage you uh, to take notes. Today we're on week two of a series called Missing a Peace. And the idea is how do we find peace when it seems like it's missing, when it's absent, when it's maybe just in our grasp, but we can't seem to, to get there. And we don't have to look far. Uh, if you wake up and you're in a family and you're just living your life, you you probably feel an absence of peace a lot of times. There's maybe anxieties and worries that you face on a daily basis. Uh, You go out and you interact with people in the community and you see that that same peace that people long for is is lacking and people are anxious. And really there's just an all-time just sense of people longing for this peace that's missing uh, in their life. And not only in their life, but people are longing for a peace uh, in their cities and in our state, and, and actually in, in the world. This is actually nothing new. We, we, we all long for peace, this sense of like well-being, togetherness, uh, that we can actually face what we have uh, in our life. And so Christmas is actually one of the most important times that we can be reminded that we don't have to go looking for peace. Peace is actually here. Peace came, and the peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's found in a person. It's found in a relationship with God. Through Christ. And many are trying to search for peace and find it through many different means. But here as the church, whether you're a Christ follower or not, where you're a part of Ridgeview or you're new, uh, peace is actually here and you can find it through Christ. And so in this series, we're focusing on how through Christ and following him and doing life his ways, the peace that we long for, the peace that the world longs for is actually something that we can experience. But today I want to shift to an area that's actually something that that I struggle with, and it's the area of waiting. And it's waiting for something to happen in your life or in somebody else's life or maybe in your world, whatever that is, and it's not happened yet. How many of you would say that you struggle with patience? Is patience something? Yeah, it's like we we struggle with, with patience. Patience is something that just seems to be an area of growth for all of us. And the reason Patience is an area of growth is because waiting is very hard. I think of my world right now and how what I have at my fingertips, if I want to order something, 
I can even check a box on Amazon and say, you know what, why don't you get it to me today? I'll give you that challenge. And maybe not you could get it tomorrow, but if, if you have to, maybe in two days, but if you will get it to me in a week, I will not give you my money. Imagine how just different the life is right now. We can have everything we want immediately. That's actually helpful for shopping, but life doesn't work like that. Oftentimes, there's seasons of waiting where we can't just order something in our life and it shows up. I want to define wait. This is one of those definitions that's kind of depressing as you read it. This is what it means to wait. To stay where you are or delay doing something until somebody or something comes or something happens. Talk about a lack of forward progress. Waiting basically means you stay and you stay until something out of your control happens that you necessarily have nothing to do with. And you look at those words like, stay where you are. Well, I, I don't like to stay where I am. I want to keep going. I want to keep moving. But there's things that we face in life where there are. There, there's sometimes you just have to stay where you are because the way forward has not been made clear yet. Maybe it's unclear to you. If you have a relationship with God, maybe he's not made it clear to you yet, and you just have this sense of like you have to, you have to stay. One of my strengths in life is, is I like to be a catalytic person, which is good. We started a church. If you're not catalytic, it's hard to start something, right? And I'm also an activator. If there's something that needs to be done, I'll get it done. But waiting, mm, no thanks. I don't really like that. I like things to, to, be, to be done. And I was thinking through in my life all the things that like we wait in that sometimes it just bothers me, like waiting in traffic. I hate waiting in traffic. Full disclosure, I'm sometimes that person that I'm in the one lane that always seems is slower than all the other lanes. And sometimes it's the carpool, and doesn't that frustrate you the most? I have two drivers, this lane should be open up. And then the fast lane and the lane next to that, and they're all just going. And then you get out of the carpool, and then your lane stops. And then what does the carpool lane do? It's just flying. Anyone else feel mocked by traffic like I do? Yeah, it just seems to happen. Same with the grocery store or Costco gas. Strategic thinking, I'm like, I got it. And then I always get behind like the pump that's broken, the person who lost their card, the card's not working, the person that doesn't pull to the one open and they're in the back, you're like, oh, it's, it's open, go. If you don't go, I'll go. I love Costco gas. <laughs> we wait at the doctors, we wait for news, we wait for, for change to come. In my life, I've actually been in lots of seasons of getting in trouble while waiting. Uh, old school, I grew up in the, in the 80s, and back in the day, parents just kind of left their kids in cars to do stuff, you know, and you don't have to say that, but like, that's how I kind of grew up. It's like my mom needed to go into a store, or my mom was finishing getting ready in the house, and it's like, just go get in the car. Just get all the kids in the car, and at least when I'm ready, we're ready. And I remember one time I was in my car, you know, in the front seat. My sisters were in the back. I'm the youngest, but they just kind of said, you can sit in the front. And we were going to be going to a McDonald's before church. It was like a Wednesday night. And I'm just bored, and I'm like thinking of stuff to do. And all of a sudden, I see like a toothpick like in the car. And I'm like, I bet you, while I'm waiting here, while there's nothing to do, I bet you I could start this car with a toothpick. So I get the toothpick, and I put it in the ignition, and I begin to turn it. And nothing happens, and the toothpick just snaps off. And I think, well, that, that's probably not good. 
but I'm not going to say anything because that, that wasn't smart. And so my mom comes and she's ready. And she's like, okay, sorry, it took so long. And we're like, yeah, mom, it's been forever. We've been waiting in the car, you know, can't breathe. There's no oxygen. You know, we're complaining. And then my mom takes the key and she puts the ignition. It's like, it's not going in. All of a sudden I'm like, oh no, that really did impact something. And my mom just begins to just jam this just toothpick that she doesn't know further into the ignition. She's like, what is going on? And my sisters are just like giddy with excitement for what's going to happen. And they're, and they're just waiting. Will he say anything? I'm just, maybe it somehow the toothpick will go through the ignition and it, it will work. And I, I'm just hoping, I'm not saying anything, I'm not saying anything, I'm not saying anything. And all, all of a sudden, I say, I, I think I know, mom, I, I think I know what the problem is. I try to start the car with the toothpick and it snapped off and it's in there. And, and um, that waiting turned into wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> One of the worst news you could ever hear. But in my life, like if there's waiting, usually it's not good. And that was at an early age. But but even in life, like the more waiting, the more anxious thoughts. The more unknown, the more I run scenarios. The more I have to stay and wait and wait until something happens, the more I try to figure it out myself. And that's probably like you. God actually made us as humans with this tremendous intelligence and capabilities and abilities and strengths and gifts and we can make a difference in the world. But one of the things that we tend to do is we don't like to wait. We don't like to wait for things to unfold. We don't like to wait for God. And then speaking of God, there's things that we wait on for him to come through that even just raises the stakes in our lives where we pray and we ask him for help in an area. And sometimes it seems like the help hasn't come. Or sometimes we ask, we need to change in this area. Like we're struggling. Maybe it's a sin that you struggle with for so long and you just can't seem to get past it. And you're just waiting for change to happen. You're waiting for you to be able to get over that. Or you're waiting, I know some of you in relationships with family members, you have kids that you're waiting for them to change, maybe to come back to God, and you just wait, and you wait, and you wait, and it, and it doesn't happen. So it's hard enough to wait, but then when we look at our relationship with God and we wonder, why isn't God doing what I ask? I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, and nothing happens. Isn't that one of the biggest struggles in life? Not only waiting, but waiting for God to do something. What tends to happen in the waiting, especially as it relates to God and our prayers and asking him, is the longer we wait, sometimes the more we can question his goodness to us. And sometimes we can even question the fact of like, is he real? Because if he's real, I need this to happen in real time right now. I need to know that he hears me. I need to know that he cares. And so sometimes the silence is so deafening with disappointment with discouragement, with disillusionment. And God is a God that relates to us personally. So Sometimes in this waiting, it feels like the very relationship that we're supposed to grow in and is supposed to be the most important relationship can, can be the most strained because we're disappointed with God. We feel like he, he's let us down. What I want to just help you see today, and as we dig into the scriptures specifically, for the coming of Christ as we celebrate Christmas, is this point. And this is something that you just need to keep remembering and remembering. It says, while I am waiting, God, God is working. You may not be able to see it. And the title of today's sermon is Behind the Scenes. But I want you to know, whatever that you're facing in your life, whatever hope that you have in this prayer that seems unanswered, or this delay 
this waiting, whatever that is for your life, God is still working. And you can't ever forget that. And if you're new to following Christ or you're not even sure you trust him yet or you can follow him, he's been working in your life before you were even born. He has a plan for you that you don't even know. And if you've been a follower of Christ for a long time and you seem like you, you know what the right answer is and you know the right thing to do, it's so easy to forget that he's, he's always working. And he is. He's working in your life. He's working in my life. He's working uh, in our, our church. What I want to do is I want to kind of pave the way for this sense of waiting for God to make change happen uh, from the beginning account of Scripture. And uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, you know that God made Adam and Eve the first man and woman. And they were born actually sinless. Like they were made and there was no sin. And they enjoyed this life with God, with each other in paradise in the Garden of Eden. But if you know the creation story and how sin entered, they were tempted by a serpent. And a serpent said, has God told you that you can't know like he does? Has he put limits? Because God said you can enjoy everything, but don't eat of this tree. The one boundary he put, you just can't eat of this tree. Tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. You just can't, that the one boundary, you can't do that. Everything else is, you're, you're free. And, and the serpent tempted them. They gave into the temptation and sin entered the world. Why? Because they went against what God said. And it went from this perfect paradise where there was no waiting. Everything they needed and everything that, that God had for them, they, they had it right before them. They had everything they needed. There was no waiting. There was no need for patience. There was no delay. It was the fullness of life. And then sin entered and the curse came because Adam and Eve rebelled. And because Adam and Eve rebelled, they're our spiritual grandparents and we're all connected to them. And because of their rebellion, we rebel. And we go against what God says and we sin and we experience the same pains and the same curse that they experienced. But it's very interesting in this creation account back in the beginning of scripture in Genesis chapter three, there's actually recorded like the first, what people say, the first prophecy of Christ coming. If you could imagine Genesis, the beginning of time, everything's perfect, sin enters and now everything's broken and already God is working. And it's in the curse to the serpent, Satan, the evil one, the liar, where he gives this vision and this promise of, of what's to come. And let's read this together, Genesis 3, 15. It says this, and I will put enmity, enmity means strife. Uh, there, there's just gonna be this hostility. So I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What it's describing is this spiritual struggle that will always exist because sin has entered the world. Again, the serpent represents Satan. That's who he was. And since this time, there's been a spiritual battle that's existed. It began with this temptation, sin entered, and now, ever since, in daily life, for you and for me, here and throughout the ends of the earth, there's this spiritual struggle that's going on in the spiritual realm. We live in a spiritual world. An enemy, the enemy is at work, and notice what it says, to strike our heel, it's to, to stop our progress to poison our life, to make us believe 
things that are not true, just like he did to Adam and Eve. He does the same strategies very smartly, but to destroy us. But notice what God says in the middle of this curse to the serpent. You will strike his heel, but what's the promise for that? He will crush your head. Many believe that the, the crushing of the head of the serpent, which represents Satan, is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin. He came to forgive us for our rebellion. He came to be the Savior, the Messiah that everyone longed for. And when he came and he was born and he died and he rose again, the crushing of Satan was fulfilled. But if you could imagine, this was in Genesis 3, up until the point of Christ's coming, was about 4,000 years. So you want to talk about what God is doing behind the scenes. Can you fathom 4,000 years of time that was going on? You can't, I mean, again, if something is delayed in my life 15 minutes, I'm like, God, it's taking forever. You ever use those words? Forever. Wow, that's a really long time to be stuck in that light that never turns green forever, right? So even our just understanding of time, it, it, it's hard to fathom this. But the people, and Adam and Eve were, were given this promise, like there's a curse, but this will not go on forever. The power of the enemy will be crushed. His very head, his life, will be, the power will be gone. So the people were dealing with sin, just like we deal with sin. And they, they're dealing with this broken world and how to move forward in the, the middle of this. And the people of God kept walking with God and then kept rebelling with God and walking with God and rebelling. And the Old Testament is just a story of rebellious people who keep coming back to God and then when things get good, they just leave him and do their own thing. It's very interesting, the older I get, the more I read the Old Testament. When I was younger, I just thought, these people are crazy. God has done so much for them. How could they forget him? How could they in just one day be like, we love you, God, we give you our whole life, and the next they're worshiping idols, and then life gets a little bit more complicated, and I realize, that's me. I'm them, and they are me. From one minute to the next, I'm completely faithful, and then just wanted to do my own thing. So we experience this tension, and more specifically, another prophecy came in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ came. And the people, again, were, were longing, in Genesis 3, longing for things to be made right. And there was a lot of pain, a lot of problems in the world. And if you're unsure of that, like, read the Old Testament, and you see tremendous evil and tremendous good all at the same time. And we live in a time where it's like, it's crazy. Our world is nuts. And then you read the Old Testament, you're like, wow, like, it's kind of similar it's because sin, it, it, it just, it destroys. And in the middle of it, God redeems. And things are destroyed, and then God redeems, and he repairs, and that's what he does. But people were waiting for this, this change. They were waiting for this promise to happen from Genesis 3. In the book of Isaiah, we get a specific word, Isaiah seven fourteen. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and should call his name 
Emmanuel. In the scriptures we find later in the New Testament, Emmanuel means God with us. The person who you're waiting to crush, the head of Satan, will come. And last week we talked about the proclamation that happened from Isaiah to the shepherds, and the sign was given to them. And they celebrated, and they visited the fact of the fulfillment that Christ had come. Peace was here. The promise of a Savior, of redemption, had come. But God is working behind the scenes from Genesis 3 to Isaiah 7. He's preparing his people. He's preparing the world for what was to come. So as you dig into the book of Isaiah and the Old Testament, you just keep seeing these these prophecies of this Christ who will come. And if you're not familiar with the scriptures, I encourage you, do some research. Check out all of the the prophecies about Christ coming and then the fulfillment of it. There's no way that man could put together what God did. Because you can't predict something will happen 700 years before it does. You ever thought about that? Like we make movies like The Matrix is interesting, but it's not real. In Christianity, through God's word, you see the promises that happened hundreds of years before they took place. And they were fulfilled. And people kept hearing just words from God and the prophets prophesied. Like, you need to turn to God. You need to trust him. And they'd go again and rebel and they'd come back. And it's just the story of God's work. In the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of the rebellion, keep redeeming and forgiving and guiding. However, I want to talk about this period that sometimes we don't talk about a lot in church. And it's the period from these prophecies that you see in the Old Testament of Christ's coming, the word from the Lord, his guidance, his hand, leading his people. And it's the Old Testament. And then we have the New Testament of Christ's coming. But there's a period between the Old Testament and the New Testament called the intertestamental period. You ever heard of that? The intertestamental period is, again, from the end of Malachi to the beginning of the Gospels of Christ coming to earth. What you may not know is the intertestamental period, it's from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, a period of 400 years. And those 400 years were years of silence, where there's no recorded word of God speaking to his people. There's no scripture that we have from the end of Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so for 400 years, they're waiting on this Savior, 300 years after Isaiah predicted he would come, but in, for 400 years, the people wondered, is God still there? Did he leave? We don't hear him anymore. Where did he go? What happened? And so many people call this intertestamental period the, the, the silent years. I don't know, if I'm going to live in a time, I don't really want to live in the silent years. Remember the wonder years? The wonder years sounds great. Fred Savage all day long, right? Although maybe not now. But the silent years, that sounds terrible. But this is what the people uh, experienced. Uh, But what I want to talk about is what God was doing behind the scenes in this period of time that's actually profoundly loud, even though God didn't say anything. And I want to just do a brief history. If you like history, this may be interesting. If you don't like history, 
it could still be interesting, okay? So what was happening in the silence during this time? I'm just gonna briefly go through this. Uh, first, Alexander the Great uh, ruled with great power, transformed the world, and it was the first time in history there was a common language. Number two, the Old Testament, because of this common language, was translated into Greek. So during this period of silence, what's very interesting is there are people that actually got to hear God's word for the first time because now it was in their language. So if you think of silence, for many, it was the first time they heard. Number three, uh, the Socratic method, because of the Greek influence, uh, was a huge influence in culture, so asking questions was the key to learning. The reason this is important is think about how the Socratic method, Greek philosophy, prepared the way for Jesus' teaching. Because what did Jesus do? He always asked what? Questions. And he always said things not clearly so people could think for themselves. The Socratic method was influencing even the way people would receive Christ. Number four, uh, then the Romans conquered the Greeks, and through that, roads and highways were established, and what could happen? News could travel. Is that important? Absolutely. Because the greatest news was about to take place. And then number five, the diaspora happened, which is the Jews were dispersed throughout the Roman world. So now you don't have just people in Jerusalem because they weren't allowed to live there. They were scattered. God's people that knew of his word, that knew of his promises, they're awaiting this Messiah. And he had them scattered throughout neighborhoods and communities and cities. Whereas they were hearing this word of Christ coming, there were people that could testify that it was proclaimed hundreds of years before it happened. So the first time in history represented a few things. First, everyone could read the Bible in a language they could understand. Very significant. That's how you learn God's ways. You, you have to read his word. In our modern day, it's, it, it, it's so easy. We take it for granted. We have the scriptures in English. We can read it. Not only that, we could read multiple translations. There was a time where you couldn't have access to the scriptures. You didn't know what God said unless somebody told you. And then you couldn't even read it even if you had it. For the first time, people could read the Bible in their language that they understood. And then the first time, people were encouraged to ask questions. And God sent the answer. It was Christ. Number three, the good news of a Savior could travel in a common language. And then four, roads and highways spread the gospel message throughout the entire Roman world to Gentiles and beyond. The reason this is so important is because God was working behind the behind the scenes during 400 years of silence, which was anything but silent. Because while the people were waiting, God is working. And he's doing things that you don't know and you don't see and you don't understand. And we're here today in Fontana, California because of what God was doing during this period of time to prepare the world for people like us that could hear about Christ because of what he was doing during that time, at just the right time, Christ came exactly when he needed to come. I think, man, if he came today, you know how fast we could spread the word, social media? Christ would go viral. But he came at just the right time. 
And I've been doing some research about why this time was so significant. I just want to read uh, a couple of authors that speak to this because it's helpful for context. This is from a book called The Drama of Scripture. And I'm just going to read this quickly. It says, as the Old Testament story draws to a close, that's the end of Malachi, the people of Israel are living on the land in relative peace under the rulers, under the rule of the Persians who have allowed Israel to return. So from the end of the Old Testament, they're even under Persian rule, which changes. But as the New Testament story begins, its context is quite different. The Persian Empire has crumbled long since, and Israel now suffers under the brutal mastery of imperial Rome. Only a fraction of the people of Israel actually live in Palestine. The majority are scattered throughout the Roman Empire and even beyond its borders, where they too are subject to pagan masters. Does this feel like Star Wars to anyone else? If I could have had this like going, that would have been amazing. I've never had a moment where I was like, this feels like Star Wars. Sorry. I just need to share that. That was like an amazing moment. Okay, let's keep going. Among the Jews, whether in Palestine or elsewhere, there is a fervent longing for God to act to bring liberation to his people. So in the waiting, the people are responding in their hearts. They, they, they need God to come through. They need him to act. The captive nation sees with anger and dreams of one day throwing off the yoke of oppression and driving the Romans out of the land for good. During this time, the Jewish people strain to reconcile their faith in God's promises of blessing with the ugly experience of life under a succession of increasingly malignant pagan rulers. This is why it's interesting how so many had a plan for Jesus' life. Because in the 400 years of silence, everyone was coming up with the version of the Messiah that they wanted. They wanted a conquering king. They wanted justice on their own terms, in their own way, according to how they see it. But he appeared to shepherds, assigned to angels, and he was born in a stable? Are you kidding me? How would that fit the narrative of what everyone had hoped for his life? Because God was working behind the scenes in ways people didn't know. And we just, we have to, we have to remember that. While I'm waiting, God is working. Galatians 4 in the New Testament speaks now post Christ's coming, speaks post him being crucified, post him rising again. So as you read the New Testament, as you go further on, you see more clarity because of what has taken place. And check this scripture out in Galatians 4. It's like the perfect scripture for Christmas. And it says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. You know what's so interesting is notice these, I'll keep going back there. Notice this in verse four. But when the time had fully come, what that means is uh, it was the perfect time. It was the perfect time. There wasn't a, like a, an appointment slot and God said, you know, I really want that one, but you know what? We'll do the first century instead. No, it, it was the perfect time. It was the exact time. It was the time which God had always prepared for Christ to come. And it was in the exact place for which he prepared it, with the exact people that would be a part of the story. Just like for us, he knew that we would come after that and we would proclaim it in our day, just like they did in his day. God was preparing and he's working 
And he's always working behind the scenes at just the right time. And what's really interesting is the word picture here is God is, uh, but when the time had fully come, it actually literally means like time, like it was fully pregnant. What on earth? But if you know, if you've ever been pregnant, there's a time where you're going to have the baby and there's a time when you won't. And you're going to have the baby when it's time to have the baby. And I don't want to speak more than I should in this area because I'm getting beyond my depths. But you can do all that you want. You know, we, when my wife and I were first pregnant, we, uh, our daughter was, was late and we're like, we, we just heard people say, you know, L.A. Zoo. You walk the L.A. Zoo. And what did we do? We walked the L.A. Zoo in the hottest summer that existed in the August of 2006. But the time had not fully come. We just got hot, swollen. And I say we, I, I did too. But it wasn't time yet. But even though picture, the time fully come, Mary, pregnant. And then he was born. The time had fully come. The perfect time, the time uh, for redemption. Here's another excerpt from just a different resource that's really helpful. Christ coming. This time that had fully come. The stage was set. Man's futile attempt to deal with his shifting tide of this shifting tide of political power and religious belief had produced very little. Israel was in a kind of spiritual bondage that was even worse than her political bondage. Keep on going there. The rise of the various parties and movements was evidence of a sincere search for some final solution to her problem. In the waiting behind the scenes, in the waiting of not happening, they finally came to the point, it's like, we cannot fix our problems. We cannot make it happen. Why? Because the time had not fully come. It wasn't ready. It wasn't ready. All seemed to have failed. The stage of history was dark. The situation was indeed separate. I want to stop here just really quickly. This is actually very encouraging for us today. Because if you've had a thought of how things seem dark in our day, our culture, our country, our situations, our families, the more progress we make, the less smart we are, the more progress we make, the more disillusioned and discouraged. We move forward and we move even more backwards. It's like we don't make progress at all. If you felt that, if you felt the strain of that, check out the time in which Christ came. People saying, it is messed up. We are messed up. Our world is messed up. And is God even there? Go to the next slide there if you can. It says, amid this setting, God broke 400 years of silence with the announcement of the coming of Christ, the faithful servant of the Lord, and the intertestamental period came to an end. The intertestamental period may remind us of today's historical and religious context. Got one more. We seem to live in dry times where the national political landscape and world context hinders the light of the gospel from shining. Many modern believers want to know when the Messiah will appear again. Have you thought that? Christ, when are you coming back? Oh, he's coming back. To, it's got to be soon. You ever thought? It's like, it's got to be soon. Go to the next slide if you can. It seems that we may learn from God's behind-the-scenes sovereign hand that was at work during the 400 not-so-silent years of the intertestamental period. That's William McDonald. This is a helpful uh, commentary. But isn't it just helpful to pause for a moment and think, 
God is always working at just the right time. And what that means is, is if you're in a season of waiting in your life, uh, he's still working. The scriptures actually promise that God never sleeps and he does not slumber. Psalm 141. We have to sleep. We have to rest. God never does. He doesn't miss anything. He doesn't miss anything you're facing in your life. He doesn't miss any prayer that you have for something that you long for. He hears you and he sees you. But I'll remind you, some of the time that he's doing behind the scenes is the reminder of him sending Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. One of the things that God wants to do during your waiting and during my waiting is he wants to be with you. And if God is with you, even in your waiting, the waiting is worth it because you have the God creator of the heavens and the universe with you through his son, Christ. That changes everything. We're we're not alone. And he works on our behalf. Isaiah 64, 4, here's a promise again from the Old Testament. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. We see this fully in him sending Christ. He acted ultimately for us. He sent us redemption. He sent us forgiveness. He sent us grace that we could not earn. And we, we, we can't even fathom, but what the, the promise is, is he's working for you while you wait for him. And oftentimes in that working, it's in the with you that you see it. He's with you. He's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forget you. He hears you. Church, we have to remember this. We're living in a time where people are desperate for peace and desperate for God to come through, or desperate for something to happen in their world. And it has. It already has. When the time had fully come, Christ came. And he did what we could not do. I want to just close out as I invite the band to come up. I want to just close out to just give some practical things that you can do to practice this Emmanuel God with us time of waiting. So how to make the most of the waiting. Uh, as I list these, I just encourage you, is there one that stands out to you? Like, I'm waiting in my life for something to happen. I'm waiting in my life for an answer that I don't have. During that time, what, what is it that, that you can do? And so here, here's some just suggestions. The first, just pray continually for God's will to be done. Again, in the waiting, in an absence of peace, as anxiety rises, the best thing you can do, and listen, the best thing you can do, and the best thing you can do is to pray. In your waiting, pray. And you have to pray continually for his will to be done. Second, I read scripture to gain truth and perspective. The way you practice God with us is to get into his word and learn more about him, get to know him. He will speak to you. And in the waiting to hear God speak, that's what we need. We need his perspective. Third, ask God to show areas of sin that need to be confessed. Same for God's people in the Old Testament. Same for the Israelites in the New Testament as they were hearing about Christ. It's the same for us, same through the centuries. There's times when we wait that God has actually wanted to purify our hearts. In the waiting, we're actually open to consider change. God can get our attention because we wait. And so I ask God to show you, is, is there anything in your life that needs to be confessed? Is there anything that you're just kind of holding on to that has a stronghold that in the waiting, God wants to begin to just release the grips in your life? 
And then fourth, reflect on God's past faithfulness and thank him. As you wait, as you struggle, as you strain, look back and say, God, thank you for the ways that you've come through. I can trust you because of what, what you've done. And then finally, stay faithful with your assignments in an upbeat way. One of the biggest struggles you and I will have when we wait is to give up. And it's beyond giving up. It's this idea of we check out. God's not there. He's not come through. We check out. And when we check out, we drop our responsibilities. And we drop our responsibilities. It goes from waiting to now backward progress. Like we're not just waiting. We're now losing ground in our life. You know who wants you to lose ground? The evil one. And his head has been crushed, but that spiritual battle still goes on. And he wants to take you out. And he takes you out oftentimes in those periods of waiting because you begin to question the goodness of God. So one of the things you have to do is you have to fight to be faithful. Faithful in your relationships. Faithful in your responsibilities at work. Faithful in the small things. Faithful in the big things. Stay faithful in an upbeat way. So that list is on your listening guide. What's one, one for you? And here's some next steps. Uh, here's some three ways that you can apply this this week. First is memorize 60, uh, Isaiah 64, 4, which I just shared. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. That's helpful to keep in mind as you wait. The next is I need to make the most of waiting by and that list that I just went over, just choose one. Is it to get into God's word? Is it to pray continually? Is it to confess a sin? Is it to stay faithful? Like choose, choose one of those. And then last, I will invite somebody to Christmas Eve. Something I just read this morning, really interesting. 82% of people will go to church if they're invited by a trusted friend. How many? 82%. The same researchers found that only 2% of people invite to church. Now, you look at those stats. You look at the opportunity and the cost of that, 82%. The reason I bring this up is if what we're talking about is true, God is working behind the scenes, and he wants to be with people and help them, are there people in your life that might need to know that? I know there's people in my life. There's people on my son's soccer team. There's people, my next-door neighbor, Caroline, that needs to know that. So just think, who is it that needs to hear that the one who was promised from the beginning of Scripture to the end has come? That should compel us. We, we, need to, we need to be inviting. And so I encourage you to invite to Christmas Eve. And then finally, we need help with Christmas Eve. We need people who aren't necessarily serving on a team. If you want to volunteer with us, we're going to have a people at the next step table and Come find us and say, you know, I'd like to help. Uh, it could be just coming a little bit early helping. It could be staying a little bit late, whichever service you're helping with. But we just need some volunteers to kind of bolster the volunteers that we already have. And so if you're willing to help, that, that'd be great. I said wrapped up about 15 minutes ago. While you're waiting, <laughs> God is working. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your scriptures, which like, again, God, we, we can't put together, we can't, in our own understanding, do what you have done. 
you created us, you've redeemed us, you've, you've given promises in time that have come true, and you sent your son to do what we could not do ourselves. You've done everything on our behalf. But in our waiting, we just struggle. We wonder, are, are you good? But God, thank you for your scriptures, which reminds us that, that you are, that you're always working, even when we're waiting. And you're working at just the right time. So God, we trust you. We want to trust you. I, I pray for anyone here who's just battling anger towards you, battling frustration to their life situation, just feeling discouraged. God, will you really touch their heart right now that they can sense that you are working on their behalf? And God, help us to be compelled to share this news with people in our life and practically just to invite to Christmas Eve. Will you give us courage? There's people that are longing for peace that need Christ. And they will not find it anywhere else. So God, thank you for this community, for the opportunity that we have to see you at work behind the scenes here and now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.